Hey, welcome to the Scuttlebutt. I'm Rich, and this is uh, absolutely awesome the day we got going on here. We're actually getting some rain first time in a while, and it is very welcome. You should see what my zucchini are doing. <laughs> I've got a, a, a trapper here, and uh, pretty cool here. We were actually trading a few war stories before we started about, uh, about filming for YouTube and all that kind of stuff. Uh, this is Jake Dreger, and uh, you're from uh, Watasquin, Alberta. Jake, welcome to the show. Thanks, Rich. Nice to be here. Thanks for asking me to come out. <laughs> oh, we're, we're, we're busy trying to talk with everybody. And, you know, we used to be, and we did this stuff in person, we, we, were, we would do a podcast every two or three weeks. And now that we're not doing it in person, we've kind of stepped it up. We're, we're trying to get one in, in every week, which is getting expensive on the, uh, the hosting. You know, one of the things nobody ever thinks about uh, is, is the, uh, the hosting costs because uh, you keep, the, these keep getting longer. We keep talking longer and longer, and the longer they are, the the, the bigger the uh, the file is. And I think I'm I'm up to now five or six hundred megabytes a, a month on my on my plan, and I got to be careful wow. to try and get that in. <laughs> well, you're like the Joe Rogan of uh, of trapping podcasts, Rich. So you just you got to roll, man. <laughs> I would, I would really like to talk to Joe. I think that would be really, really. Cool. I would as well. I've actually tried to extend an invitation to him, but. Uh... I don't know. I think he's probably got a pretty good list there. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I, I think he does too. I think actually, I, I kind of have a, a kind of a, a back door connection to him almost. It's really oh, weird. Okay. But uh, he has hunted black bear in Alberta. And the fellow that he's hunted black bear with uh, used to buy beaver from me for, for, for bait. Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. So yeah. I thought that was a perfect opening to, to ask him, but I, I've, I've never heard back. And, I I think probably in their world in the that we're we're maybe too controversial. Like you maybe know the I mean? fur thing is is not is a little too far removed from the hunting part. Yeah, I'm not sure if he's into that or not. Well, it's he's kind had of meat funny. eater on. Well, yeah, I know, I know, and uh, and I have a very good friend who's who's very good friends with with Steve, and uh, I don't know Steve hasn't hasn't uh, made contact, and it could also be because of of uh, the border or whatever but i mean you know steve is a is a trapper um not on the level of, of what we do but uh they do right. do do a lot of beaver and muskrat that kind of stuff and and uh he'd be interesting guy to talk to but i watched uh give like joe rogan needs a, sh a shout out from from me but i, I watched uh, <laughs> last year when he went uh deer hunting with with steve from meat eater and uh they did some um mule deer in the uh uh on the Missouri River in Montana, and then they uh, they did whitetail over in Wisconsin. It was very different if you if you followed him to to watch the uh, his um, growth as a hunter. You know when when he first Jones. started, yeah. You know he he started with in the archery world and and that kind of stuff. And um, here's my comment about that. You know if you're an archer, good on you. If if you're good at it, good on you. But don't brag like you're some kind of special oh, yeah. uber warrior because you're using a, a bow because you know you're using a technique that accounts for more wounding than everything else combined <laughs> you know well and i on on that note you know who i enjoy watching is tim wells yeah like tim wells he's you know he and he advertises it's almost like his advertisement is such that you know what this is the tool like you know what like guns and bow and arrows and stuff like that but this is the real deal but i think it's you know in the eyes of the beholder uh 
you know, as far as hunting goes, I think the well, pretty it, secure it, method is the rifle. But at any rate, well, I mean, there's two worlds going on there, and this and the and the two worlds are absolutely diametrically opposed. And this kind of ties back into trapping as well, where um, they figure that because they're being archers, that it is the it is giving the animal the most cho uh, chance, right? That it, that it takes right. the most skill and all that, but then then there's the, the most wounding. But if you're going to be, if you're going to kill as ethically as possible and as reliably as possible, you're going to do it with a rifle. So those two those two whole ideas are diametrically opposed. It's yeah. kind of like uh, a lot of places. I was talking with uh, Mark Charpinier on, um, I think the podcast goes up tomorrow. And uh, uh, he's in New York and they're not allowed to use snares. Not, not, not at all. You know, and, and you talk with, with some of them over in um, in uh, Michigan, and the, they can use snares, but they have to be, they have to be cable restraints. They can't be killing. Well, it's like, how does that work? You know, I'm where, you're going to kill an that? animal. Where's where that, Rich? They they have to be cable restraints. They're not in, they, in which state? Michigan. Really? Michigan. There's there's a lot of states that are that way. Really? There's a lot of them where wow. they flat out can't use uh, a snare. Like I, I I was talking with Mark, and he does uh, ADC. And uh, so he was talking about one squirrels are a big deal. He's just squirrel pay the mortgage a lot, a lot every month kind of thing. You know what I mean? Because he's in the Catskills of New York. And of course, it's, it, that's a, a, an upper class area that with, with lots and lots of acreages and such like. So they have problems with with the uh, raccoons and the, and the squirrels. And I says, you can't use a brass snare wire for for a, a squirrel. And he says, no. I says, oh, my God. <laughs> I said that's going at it the long hard way, but yeah, exactly it was fascinating. Anyway, we we now we've we've covered all, all all this this stuff. Tell us about you. When did you start trapping? Where do you trap? I see some beautiful uh, coyotes behind you there, man. That one over your right shoulder. Now that is a stud. <laughs> well, I um yeah. What I, what I, I love that rough. Is, yeah, I have. Uh... Yeah, I have a, a really nice lynx here that I kept yet from winter. It's tan. I got a bunch of tan fur there. And then um, I kept a few back because I want to tan some more. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, uh, I'm not just showing you some of the pretty ones that I have, Rich. I'm actually kind of covering up the mess that's on the wall back there. <laughs> so there's a double thing, double whammy there. Um, <laughs> What's but, that? Uh, it's like watching my set on my on the TV program over the years. It went from an unpainted wall to a painted wall to, to now it actually looks like something with the fur and, the, and everything hanging in there. It takes time. Everything takes time. Fur decorates anything that's bad. It, it can look horrible. Just hang a bunch of nice fur over it. Bang. So yeah. I looked after. No, I, uh, you know, I was, a, when I was a kid, I don't know. I was, you know, the earliest memories that I have, I was fascinated by, uh, predators and uh, uh, born and raised on the farm up in Lacrete, Alberta. You know, we had uh, we kind of had the wilderness right in our in our backyard. <clears throat> and uh, the first time that I came and had an encounter with a weasel, um, it didn't take long after that that uh, my mom and dad they got me a big poster, and it was all the North American fur bears on there, and I was just like. I, I, I can't quite explain to you how I, I just, I wanted to be close to them. That's, that's all that my, my impulse was just that I wanted to be close to them. And so I didn't take long when I was talking to my, my dad and my uncle one day, and they said, well, they said, you know, you might be a trapper, Jake. 
And I'm like, what, uh, you know, what is that? What does that mean? Well, I might be a trapper, right? I mean, this is brand new stuff. I'm seven, eight, nine years old. And, uh, and my uncle said, well, he said, you know, you, you set a trap and you catch uh, whatever animal uh, you're looking for and, and you take it home and then you skin it and you sell the, the, the fur. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can go and I can get them and then I can skin them. I can make dollars. Like I can actually make some money here. Well, that's, that was it, Rich. After that, I was hooked. Well, I, I, sinker, I, I was in. I know the gene pool that you come from up there uh, in that country up there and that hard work is, is in the, the DNA there. So work didn't scare you. And the thought that you could make money working at it. Yeah, I can believe it. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, it took me years and years before I ever had a snowmobile. So, but my dad, uh, he had a couple quarters of land and the, the Creek was running all the way through it. So, you know, everything up there that comes with, uh, with the Creek, you know, I had, uh, he caught Fisher, Martin, Mink, Weasel, um once i got a little bit older i started going after canines but i mean jeepers like uh as a as a 12 and 13 year old trying to set long spring traps and catching coyotes i there was a lot of disappointment a lot of disappointment um but once i once i got my hands on some snares and i started going after coyotes yeah that was that took me basically up until you know probably uh 19 years of age and then uh then I basically, I took some time off, started working. And um, uh, next thing you know, I found my way into NISCU and the oil patch, they got their hooks into me and the <laughs> money was good. So I kind of stuck that out. But all the while I was kind of dabbling, like I'd go out with my brother. He'd come out for the weekend. Uh, we'd go uh, and set a bunch of uh, foothold traps uh, for muskrats and just walk a lake all day, you know, mm -hmm. catch a bunch of muskrats. So I'd, I'd get out whenever I could. And then a uh, good buddy of mine in BC he had a trap line. I'd go and hang out with him. And then, um, and then, uh, you know, kind of two things happened at once. I, I actually, I started uh, um, uh, holding a, a resident uh, trapping license because I was running into more and more farmers, you know, the, all the talk about the coyotes, you know, they were, you know, people were getting tired of the coyotes and the beaver. And it was basically because of that, that, uh, you know, I, I got my license and, you know, the first farmer that I went to, Rich, I've been setting the exact same two acre patch of bush for, what is it, five, six winters now. And I'll take 25 plus coyotes out of that two acres every single year. Um, and uh, yeah, and that basically took me to last summer when I got a call. Uh, a friend of mine said, hey, there's actually a bunch of people contacted me and they said that there was an ad in the paper for the county beaver trapping job. And man, I just like I when I heard that, I, I just I set things in motion instantly, you know, uh, uh, fixed up my resume again, got it to the right people and uh, did the interviews like pretty quick after it was about a month after. And uh yeah, I managed to beat out uh, the class there and, and uh, got that job. And um, yeah, with that, I was, I mean, I was, I, I knew that at that point that this was it, like this was going to be it for me. Like uh, uh, there was going to be no turning back. Uh, this is it. I'm going to be a trapper 12 months a year. Um, I was, uh, I was scared out of my wits, Rich, because I mean, now what am I doing now? Trapping my way right into the poor house. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But uh, but one thing led to another, and and uh, yeah, I started uh, not to ramble on too long here, but uh, yeah, I I. Um, Have you ever caught yourself yelling at the TV, telling the people that were hunting, fishing, or trapping they were doing it wrong? <laughs> I know we all do it. I do it. Well, here's your chance to come out on my trap line with Sandy and I and tell us what we're doing wrong. We are having a contest. We are giving away a three days worth of trapping out on our trap line with us. All you have to do is get yourself to Grand Prairie, Alberta, and we will take it from there. We'll pick you up. We'll take you out to the trap line, and we will return your frozen carcass or, or your smiling face to the airport three days later. <laughs> All you have to be is a member of trappinginc.locals.com. Be a supporting member. The draw is on September 1st. Uh, it's really, really simple. You go there to trappinginc.locals.com, and the very first post up on the news feed, it tells you how to enter and uh, how to get in on this. We are easygoing. We are going to have a pile of fun. We are looking forward to having some new, fresh faces out on the trap line with us, and you're going to be a star or a guest of an episode of Trapping Inc. Season 8. Okay? Simple, simple, folks. Don't miss out. This is a great trip. Number one thing that gets re requested of us is, how can I send my husband trapping with you guys? I'm willing to pay money. <laughs> well, maybe I shouldn't be advertising to you. I should be advertising to your wives. <laughs> Come to Trapping Inc. .locals.com and become a member. Simple. Don't miss out. And now let's get back to today's show. You know, word got out pretty quick. And, and uh, so I started getting, um, you know, some private jobs uh, for animal damage control, uh, uh, especially with the beaver. And, um, you know, there's uh, good business comes with production. You know, if somebody's got beaver problems and, and you show up there and, and you can uh, lace the beaver quick, you know, word kind of gets out. So. You know, the county of Wetaskiwin is, uh, I don't know, I think we might be like 150 kilometers wide, Rich. So it's, it's there's a lot big, of yeah. waterways, yeah. a lot of waterways here. We'll get back to that. I want to talk about your ADC work there, but I, want, I just want to talk about when I was a kid, same thing. We had the, uh, the number three, number four, number five uh, traps, double spring traps and all that. And it was tough to get you anything in those, you know, like, and they were tough to set and, and when we discovered snares, I went through the whole changeover in in uh, in traps and and everything with the uh, heatus, and not even knew it happened because we were we were so busy snaring, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> it was it worked so well. I just uh, like the, to me that was the most difficult thing ever was to was to take in, especially when you're a kid, because oh, yeah. I don't know about you, but we didn't know about dirt holes. No. Now, you know, we didn't know any about that. That that pretty much came out of out of our friends to the south, uh, the, the dirt holing stuff. We had no idea about that. I could see it working now when I look back at it. I could see it would have, would have worked back then. But, I mean, we were mostly, you know, you'd find a dead moose or something and you'd try and set on a trail or around it with whatever with those traps. And it was, there was a lot on of... On the cotton line where you're driving and such. Yeah. The whole yeah. nine yards. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I see the guys that do that now, Rich, when they, you know, they've got it down to a science. I mean, the, you know, the distance of the dirt hole yep. to the trap and they place the thing. I mean, they literally, that animal just comes and steps onto the pan. I mean, there's the guys that do it and it looks like a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. 
It is. Um, it is. I, but, I uh, do it. I do it too. But, but the whole thing is, is that when I, when I want to put to, some fur on the wall to, to have something to send in to get a check, you know, I hang them snares because man, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm, I'm going to clean up, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I started doing it with Beaver too. Like, uh, I, I got to be honest, like one of the funnest things for me is to take Beaver through the ice. I, I love it, but it's just not feasible. It's just so hard to do. It's not just about, um, you know, trying to earn a living, but it's, it's uh, the time. Like you put so much time into it. And, you know, when you're cutting uh, uh, two foot thick ice with your chainsaw yeah. and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. you, you got to look after your chainsaw. I mean, but I started um, like I would build a, um, just out of uh out of uh rebar i would build a, a short frame and then with a with a piece on the top and then i would just put a fence of snares in there and so basically instead of uh you know how sometimes you get a a run that'll go into a lodge you just don't have that nice perfect funnel that actually takes oh, no. and fits a conibear yeah. like it'll come in maybe super wide or they'll have the feed pile like right up against the the lodge yep so like I started, you know, once I realized that, you know, if I could take and build a frame that's two and a half feet across, hang four snares in there. I mean, you know, you, you didn't have to take and lift them out of, cut them out of the ice too many times without not catching beaver. So, um, but snaring again, I, uh, and I think it was my brother that put me onto that and it works, it works like a dam. Okay. I, I've done snaring, but I did it the old traditional way where with the pole, you know that you'd you'd ram down and you'd have bait pole. Yeah, you'd you'd have uh, four snares off it, and as it would swim around, you'd get caught in it. My right. biggest problem always was, was that then they they would float up and get froze to the underside of the ice. Yeah. Like we don't have deep ponds where I'm at. Yeah, yeah, and you get it. Well, you get a cold too. Oh yeah, it's cold, cold. You get some some decent thirty below weather there, right? Oh, lots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was always my biggest problem with snaring was was, was it being caught up on froze to the underside because, you know, doesn't matter what a beaver's worth or whatever. If I'm going to kill it, I'm going to use it. So I mean, I don't want I yeah. don't want any damage or, or waste. But that is that is fascinating. What um, tell me about those snares then? Is there a particular lock you use? What do you use for cable? What size? Uh, it's uh, what size is it now? The last time I made snares, I made like five hundred. <laughs> So it'll take me a few years before I roll through them, Rich. But I believe that I believe it's a size down from one sixteenth. Does that sound right? Three down to three sixty fourths. Maybe I believe so. And then just with a simple cam, and uh, okay. you know, it's a it's a it's obviously it's a single use snare. But yeah. the thing is, like I I built them big enough so that when I open the loop completely, I just affix the end loop of the snare right to the ready rod frame. Yeah. Um, and I, I really found that that worked really good for me. Like I tried doing baited poles too, but I don't know. They, I never gave them a pole that they liked. Yeah. I don't know what well, the deal was there, but. Uh, you you got to, you got to have a dry pole that everything is mounted to. And then, and then you take and wire on a couple of chunks of, of green around in the middle. Right. And so you have yeah. snares above snares below. And supposedly I am. Yeah. My biggest problem was, was that invariably you'd catch them by the tail or you'd catch them by by a foot or whatever so now that that snare is is, is this long you know instead of him, his neck being in it or whatever and then they could float up and, and they, they'd freeze i mean one way or the other they're they're, they're drowning whether you get them around the neck or, yeah. or or however you get them but if you got got him on a front foot or whatever and he floated up well you know then, then yeah. like then i've I have, hauled 
I've hauled tons of ice home. I have, <laughs> but it's not, it might not be before, by the time you work that everything out and where is he and get, getting your hole managed to take and get him out, invariably you're, you're leaving fur in, in ice chunks that, you, that you're leaving behind just to try to get him up above and out of the water and the ice. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean, it's exactly yeah. right. It, just because it's a $25 beaver, you know, I don't wanna leave bits and pieces behind and, and make it a 20 or a $15 beaver. Well, I mean, the other thing is, though, is, is uh, those beaver in the winter that their casts are worth a lot more because they, they are full. Yeah. You know, they're they are full. But now if you're doing this um, ADC for the county, you're doing a lot of open water stuff because that's when they're causing problems. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What's yeah. The, we got a you know, we got a pond in a ditch or whatever. And, and uh, the beavers causing troubles. And you walk up to it. Tell me what goes through your mind, what, what, what your plans are, what you do first. Well, I, um, you know, the, I'll, I gotta be honest with you, Rich, the number one thing for me these days is, uh, not just animal damage control, but everything that I do is, uh, the, the, is having an awareness of all the landowners, you know, landowners and, uh, pet potential. And I mean, there's, um, like I used to be a lot more efficiency oriented and production oriented and so on and so forth um but you know i just turned 50 here a few days ago rich and life is just too short to have unnecessary um you know to to, to be dealing with with too many non-target catches and and uh, back to your question when i when i show up to a spot my go-to is uh, is obviously the conibear i mean the conibear and especially nowadays, you know, they make them with those offset jaws. I mean, yep. you, you can catch a beaver, you can get a bad catch on a beaver and you can hold them by the tail, by a foot. I mean, I've caught them across the top of the head. I mean, uh, but you know- Do you have a favorite brand or? I, uh, the number one reason why I like Belial is because they make the nice stands for them and uh, those stabilizer stands and uh, I use them almost religiously, but by the time I figured out that I was losing so many of them, you know, you'd catch a beaver and they, they'd rummage around a little bit and, you know, I'm going from trap to trap to trap to trap. And if I pull a trap, you know, not always would I use a stabilizer, but all of a sudden I realized that, wait a minute, I got to run my cable down through the bottom, that set of arms that's horizontal in the stand, just oh. run that cable restraint off and run it through. I mean, uh, but yeah, I was, I was literally, I was losing these stands. And so working oh. for the county, working for the county, they didn't have to buy them. They just took and built me a whole bunch. Um, <laughs> but uh, I was listening to one of your other podcasts there. I think it was Belanger. I forget who it was. Belanger in ADC Trapper, Ontario, maybe. And he was talking about, uh, um, uh, about, uh, you know, getting to a spot and whether or not people had tried this, that, or the other thing. Like I've seen it all too, you know, yeah. uh, one guy comes and says, well, we've shot all the beaver and there's just one left and, you know, you show up and you catch four maybe, or, you know, uh, but be that as it may, um, we don't, we don't, I don't always get it exactly the way that I want it. Like sometimes dams got to go in the air and, uh, you show up after. But one thing that I do know is for the most part, if, if, uh, if a dam has to get blown or taken out uh, prior to me being able to go and get my stuff done, uh, if there's a healthy family there, it doesn't take them long to take and get that baby back up. 
Oh, no, 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 no. I did, um, so last summer, I I did uh, in August. Yeah, over a year ago now, I guess. Uh, In in August, we, I don't know, we blew 18, like alongside the road and that on, my trap line has, uh, has a bunch of oil roads on it. I can't trap alongside the oil roads because your stuff gets stolen, right? And so uh, I usually shoot beaver in the spring for them. Uh, but you know that's that's a very limited way unless you're going to sit on a dam for for every night for for a week you're not you're not going to come anywhere close to getting getting everything that's in there but when you blow them you can sit there and you can kill them all in no time flat because you know they're out that night and every one of them is out working right and uh so they they my biggest difficulty with, with what we did there was that they had a guy come in and, and dynamite 18 dams. Well, I can only sit one, one a night kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So I sat, you know, one a night for the next four or five nights, but by the time, you know, night four is coming around, they're just about got their pond back, you know, like, I mean, they've got her dammed up and, and the, the water's coming back. If there's water to come, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll, I, that's kind of, that's, that, that's kind of the go-to one for me. Like I, I like uh, being able to take and set to, you know, breach a dam. I mean, you don't have to take and make a lot of water run and uh, they come, they come, they want to stop water. And it seems to me like sometimes like the more rain, the, the, the better it works. It's kind of weird because you'd think like with more rain, you know, they've got more security, but it's almost like their instinct tells them, Hey, you know what, like, we got to capture all the water. Right. Um, but at any rate, uh, the one thing that I kind of, uh, that I'm kind of hesitant of is um, if I have a beaver pond, uh, especially like working through the summer months, uh, uh, once all the waterfowl is out, I really try to, you know, you kind of have to measure what your, what your dam site is actually looking like with respect to whether or not you're going to have birds coming and going. Because if you, if you have a big pond with uh, lots of waterfowl in it, uh, you, you could really be making a set that's going to take and uh, give you just a lot of grief with uh, birds uh, interrupting your trapping. And um, so, you know, if, if, if it's not a fit there, then, uh, you know, making my own lure, uh, it's kind of one of, it's kind of like reloading your own ammo for your hunting rifle. I mean, when you make your own lure and you see how it's, it's like an automatic, like, I don't know, but the, the, the you know, I take the, so I, t- I take the casters and the uh, oil glands. Yep. Um, uh, kind of a friend of mine there, uh, uh, Stan Forsyth, he, he buys a lot of the oil glands from me. And, um, but when I make my own lure, I'll take the caster. And what I try to do, like, I try not to just grind an entire caster. Like, I'll take a caster and I'll cut up half of it into small pieces and I'll scrape the other half. You just get a little bit better of a, a more a more dense concentrated caster based and it doesn't get so stringy in the food press processor that i stole out of my wife's kitchen <laughs> i know <laughs> she didn't want it she didn't want it back when i started using it no no, no. go, go I, figure but you, but you had to buy her a new one didn't you i've been there oh, yeah, done yeah. That. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah she got a better one yeah but uh and then uh yeah and then i'll just put the um i'll put the oil from the oil glands in there and a little bit of glycerin and uh, man it's like it's like taking candy from a baby like they just come so but it's kind of a you know when i spend my own money uh using my own casters 
I, uh, I try to be, I'm pretty selfish with it. I, I try to make sure that, uh, you know, if I'm going to take and make, you know, not sell my casters and make my own lure, yeah. I'm, uh, I got to catch beaver instantly. And they usually do. So you just put the, put the effort into your set to make sure wherever you're trying to guide them into, uh, you, you just make your set accordingly, but they, they, they can't say no. They're such a territorial creature. <clears throat> oh, they are. And see, that's, that's one of the things like, First, th first time you ever you ever ha watch a beaver react to a caster set, you're going to be astounded. You you think it was a hound dog, that because he can smell so good, you you you'd be just amazed at how far away he picks up that strange smell and he comes in and he'll be popping his jaws and everything else. And the really? second thing is, I I would love to show that to absolutely everybody out there that ADC people doing their their, their job. You know, there, there's some places they. They have to be non-lethal. They have to move them and release them. Well, as soon as you put that strange beaver in another beaver's water, what do you think happens? One of them lives and one dies. So the killing is of, the, of beaver is still done. You just didn't do it. You know that's what people sure. don't understand. Is that is that how territorial they are? Exactly. Go go ahead. I I interrupted, but I no, always no, wander no. down rabbit holes anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna add to that, uh, uh, Rich. Uh, but uh, but then. Um, I get a, I get a real, I get a real kick out of uh, using the foothold traps. I, I bought a couple of MB seven uh, fifties and, um, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you just a short story. Uh, last fall, I ended up getting called. It was getting really late and, and uh, all the water was kind of getting iced up and we had beavers coming to a culvert. And as soon as I arrived on this location, I took one look at that beaver lodge and I knew you know, there's a handful of beaver here minimum. And so it ended up that uh, I put a single trap out right at the culvert. And, uh, and I was catching a beaver the first two nights I caught beaver, but I was losing time. And so then I figured, well, you know something, I got to, I'm going to try and do a double set. So what I did is I put uh, two traps side by side, and I, I fixed staked them in. So the idea was what I was going to try to do is try to catch a beaver and hold them literally right on that location. And don't you know what? The first night I showed up, I had two beavers laying side by side. And um, but then what ended up happening was uh, I, I ended up getting because, as you know, they, they're either carrying mud or they're carrying sticks. And if they're carrying it out in front of them, they'll trigger those conibears occasionally. Yep. And uh, I mean, if they get whacked in the nose, it's 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 an instant education. They, I don't know that they're putting something together like, Hey, you know what? There's a trapper trying to trap me. That's not what it is. But what they do know is, uh, it's trouble. It's trouble. They don't like it. They don't like what it felt like and they're not going close to it. Right. So, um, don't you know what that, the, the ice ended up, uh, it, it, it froze up and I never caught that beaver last fall. And it was like, uh, for me, it was literally like, uh, like a sense of failure. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a job not done, uh, yeah. you know, you, you didn't get it done. And so anyway, so I went back there right away in the springtime now. And I figured, well, let's see, let's see what happens here. Maybe, you know, he had six months to sleep on it. Maybe he's calmed down now. I'll tell you, Rich, I showed up there, made a nice little set, you know, nothing wrong corralled them nice and perfect and that beaver did not go anywhere near that trap yeah he remembered yeah. they got a they got a really good memory he did not forget and so 
And so then, um, then the challenge for me was, uh, the, was the water depth because uh, I knew I was going to catch them. I mean, but what I didn't want to do is I did not want to, I didn't want to set a foothold and, uh, not have them be able to take him be in deep enough water. Right. So I just ensured that my weight, I added a little bit of weight to, uh, to a cable weight and, uh, I had to put my hip waders on to get it far enough in. And, uh, and I put my lure out and I got him the first day, but, uh, yeah, he made me work for him. That's for sure. He made me work for him. You know, whenever, like, I, I hate it when, when, uh, a dam gets opened or whenever there's water running over the dam, cause then automatically I go to the, to the foothold. Cause they just, they're always, it's, it, it's like that old saying about, uh, you know, do beavers really understand what's going on when, when water's running over a dam or is it just, I think not, you know, or absolutely not is what goes through their head, which, right. you know, so they're always, they always got a mouthful of stuff. Right. And I mean, uh, how many times have you went and you had that, that body grip or the condor bear there and, and it's not even set off yet and it's packed into the dam. You know, like, I mean, they're, they're, they're pushing it up carefully and, and all they, they understand, I don't know that, that they understand, but they, they don't even set it off. So whenever there's water running over, I would sooner uh, have, have a uh, foothold there. Just, just get over that problem. Now, also on a crossover though, when the water runs over, you know, you got the crossover and that's where he's going to come up and he's going to go over. I'll set my trap down on the halfway down the, the dam on the other side. Now, who was yeah. that told me about that? I think it was Gordy. I think Gordy, Gordy Clausen, Trapper Gord. And he, I, mm-hmm. he told me, he says, he says, that's the place to be. He says, because when a beaver swims up, he's looking and he says, whether it's a, a wolf or a bear, or whatever, waiting to grab him, they're going to be on the backside. So when he goes over, he said, he commits, he goes in a hurry. And he says, that's yeah. why you should have it down where they can't see it from the water level. And I've, I've, I've made that mistake uh, a couple of times where you, you could, if you could still see the top of the trap, you know, from, from the water level and never catch anything, move it down to where it's, where, where it's out of sight. And he says, when they go over, they go over in a hurry. Cause that's the big danger area for them. Made sense yeah. to me. Uh, I was at uh, that. I had a, a spot that I was trapping here just a few days ago. And it was uh, exactly as you describe it, Rich, but they had two spots where they were going over the dam. And, uh, and what ended up happening was when I pulled up with my truck, so the dam was basically right against the road and I pulled up with my truck and the beaver is right there in the water. So he's got nowhere to go. He's got to get out of this water and he's got to get over top of that dam on one of these two runs. And, uh, my gear started turning rich and I just, my truck came to a stop. I hit the flashers, opened up my, I stepped out grabbed the, grabbed the trap on the fly. And what's going through my mind is I'm going to catch this beaver while I'm holding this trap. You know what I mean? Like he's right here. Like, why don't, you know, I'm not driving around with the gun. I very, very occasionally. Right. But I'm like, I'm going to take and I'm going to take and wrap this thing right on this guy's head. It's uh, you can call it what you want, but uh, it's uh, maybe not a common practice, uh, but I mean, it's opportunity, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. And anyway, so here I am. I'm, I'm, and you know what beaver dams are like, right? Here I am stumbling around and I get to the first slide. And as I, as I was going into the ditch where his first crossing was, he submerged. And so I'm like, okay, well, I got to get all the way across the dam now. So it was short and I got to take and cut him off. Well, what ended up happening, so I'm setting this, 
Belial, as I'm stumbling around, uh, moving across the dam there, I managed to take and get it set. But at one point, you got to stop to take and set the dog on the trigger, right? Yeah. And just when I look up, I'm, I don't know, I'm like, I'm 12 feet from, from where he's going to cross. And our eyes met. <laughs> and that beaver comes shooting up. And so I, I started trying to take and move forward, but he beat me. But that beaver come flying over top of that dam. And when he leapt off the top, like instead of diving straight into the water, I had him so scared that he'd come off the top of that dam and he went up into the air airborne. <laughs> like a javelin he took and hit the water like a fish. Oh, no way. <laughs> but I had visions of literally, I wanted to get out in front of him and, and, and throw that trap on his head. And I mean, I would have hung on. I might have ended up in the water with him. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it was... Uh, <laughs> maybe not for everybody but uh <laughs> well, i want to hear about you doing that sometime yeah <laughs> oh yeah that, i, that I, I miss the best stuff rich i miss the best stuff with my camera i mean i just uh, uh you know I, it's 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 if you watch some of the some of the shows right they're uh like the big stuff like on discovery channel and all that uh I forget what they're all they're called, Yukon trappers and all that kind of stuff. But there, there's so much drama made up. I mean, they they have to make up drama to you know they got to, they're yeah. producing, I don't know, anywhere from sixteen to twenty three episodes a year, and you know they're most of them are an hour long. So there's so much drama that's got to be injected, and they <clears> and they make it up. And and I've talked to some of the guys there, you know, and they get paid to you know fall a, a tree on the camera and stuff like that kind of stuff. But with 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 us and I, it sounds like with you too when you're really doing it when you're really living the life the camera's never on when stuff goes sideways yeah. it's never on and and your first instinct always is is to you know make sure everything's safe and everybody's good before it gets turned on you know you don't have time for that kind of stuff you know sandy and i've been in situations where you know machine broke through or or, or something you know broke through the ice and all that you ain't got many minutes before it's it's a really 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 bad day you know so what's more important, you know, it's just yeah. get, you just take care of stuff. And in honest truth, Jake, I never think of the camera at that moment. When something oh. goes sideways, I never think of it, you know? Well, I mean, you, you, it end up uh, exactly right. Like I've done it too, uh, you know, trapping by myself, uh, Oak, Oak by Cataman, and then I cross in a mountain stream. And then going in, I look behind me and I'm like, uh oh my little shelf there that I crossed over because the water recedes or it finds a different way to flow. And then all of a sudden you're just literally going over like a little dam of ice. Right. Yeah. So I went in the one time and, and it broke a big part of it broke behind me. So when I came back, now I'm dealing with it's, it's almost dark. Right. And uh, so I parked my quad and I go and I look and when I'm looking underneath, I'm like, well, jeepers, I think there's enough. I, th I think there's enough. I can, I can get it done, right? And if I had it to do over again, what I would have done is I would have looked out in front of me for, for something to take a winch off of. But because that whole area was a large gravel bed, Rich, and yeah. the nearest tree was 300 feet away, you know, 200 feet away. There's no way, even with the rope that, with the hundred foot rope that I had and my winch line, like I wasn't, I wasn't hitting no, getting no trees. So anyway, I go over the back end breaks through and it literally has my quad pointing straight up at the sky. And um, very, very lucky for me, 
um, was that there was a huge log that had froze in uh, in the ice. So I was able to take and carve out enough on that log that I was able to take an affix rope and then my winch line to take and, you know, put enough torque on my quad to just walk it out. Yeah. It wasn't bad once I had the winch attached, but you're absolutely right. It was like, it was at night. It was uh, oh, yeah. 15, 20 below. And it was yeah. like, for me to take and pull out a camera at that time, approaching dark, ah, would, would have been fine if somebody would have been there with a the camera in their hand. That's ahead, just it. video away, but some work needs to get done here. Well, yeah, and and I mean, it, and you know, it, so you take time, pull out the camera, and, and and talk about it or whatever, and then things do get worse from there. You do lose, you lose the quad or something. Then I, all you can think about, well, was that ten minutes used with the camera was what cost me a quad? You know what exactly. I mean? Yeah. yeah it, it, well, the unplanned hiking, Rich. <laughs> unplanned hiking. I don't know. Like I'm always sort of set up for it, but. <laughs> not really a go-to for me well i know where i'm at like i mean i always i don't carry snowshoes now and i suppose i that's a bad habit not because but i've always got a snowmobile trail but you know if you happen to be you know if it's warm you know you can sink in that snowmobile trail 10 kilometers could be a long long ways or if you got you know four five six inches of, of powder on top of it and you you run back over walk back over that again that you know and sometimes you know i can be 25 26 kilometers away from the cabin kind of thing and yeah. that's a, that's a long tough week i had a breakdown last year it's on one of the episodes uh episode eight i had uh i guess it's common i was always told that skidoo with their pogo uh their pogo uh, suspension on the front end was bulletproof okay. well i guess there's a, a ring in there with a that your tie rod end goes into okay and it controls your skis right your steering right. of your skis and I guess they break all the time. And uh, this, my machine has like 14,000 kilometers on it. So, you know, it can't be all the time. It's the first time it ever broke on me. But it, I was 12K from the nearest road when it happened. You know, I had a piece of rebar with me that, you know, I, I lots of times I'll just drive a piece of rebar into a long side of a trail and I'll hang a link snare off it. Links don't care about steel whatsoever. Right. And uh, I had one of them and, and some wire and I got myself out of there. But, you know, you'd only turn a little tiny bit at a time because it, it was because <laughs> they not only when they when they turn, they not only turn direction, but they also rotate like they, your tips rotate as, uh, in, in elevation as well. So you know, it was like a 42 point turnaround to get, to get it turned around there on the yeah. <laughs> on the the uh, line where it broke down. And, and then I got back out and I went back along the side of the road and, and then things got worse after that but that's an, another story but at least i mean i got back to the road where where, where you know a guy would uh, had a chance of, of maybe flagging somebody down but not not in the dark in the dark the dark is a whole nother world isn't it yeah it's uh yeah it's everything gets a little tougher you know the thing is so i i have uh i run tracks the the tattoo 4s tracks on my quad on my 700 grizzly in the winter um and i just leave them on and, uh, and it's, it's, it's for a variety of reasons, but basically the, the terrain that I'm in there, I need them. Like, uh, I, I have actually left my wheels on my quad an entire winter. You know, the snow conditions were just never really there. And then especially if you're out regularly, you know, you've kind of got a track, but, uh, for the most part, like, uh, some hillsides, some really steep hills, they'll stay, uh, just rock covered all winter, uh, uh, some open water crossing, um, so it's just, a, it's a good application for tracks. And um, I'll tell you, 
you know, as I'm watching the kilometers tick by, as I get further and further and deeper and deeper and deeper, I'm just trying to be really, really careful with my machine. Wow. Very, get... very careful. No, nothing's getting rammy. You know, I need everything to stay in one piece. You, well, you get to that point. I mean, after a while, you, you get you get old enough that, that you realize that, uh, one, you're not immortal. And two, everything breaks eventually, you know, and, and you just have to, you have to have to pay attention to that kind of stuff. We run the Argo, of course, for the first couple months of the season. And, and then when once uh, Lynx uh, opens, uh, then I I have a much longer run. I can get down down through the south. To, that's where most of my Lynx night is. And so then I'm, you know, you're doing 180, 200, over 200 kilometers in a day. Well, I can't do that with the Argo. If I were to build another cabin on my trap line, I, I would be fine. You know, I could stick with the Argo. And the Argo is just, I mean, it's the ultimate for me anyway. I, I, I don't I don't ever have to worry about anything. And most times, if you ever, when you fall through the ice or whatever, you're just a cork. No no big deal. There's been a couple right. of situations where it fell in sideways or, or hit it, hung up on a stump or something. And you get water into your, into the engine uh, area and all that. But it is amazing. You know, like I will, I will take in the, uh, our, our cabin is, is on a, a lake and I will take, and uh, I'll be careful driving that Argo on that thing uh, uh, until December kind of thing. And then I'll come back to the cabin one day and there's, there's like little pike fishing out there and somebody who have driven a, a Ford diesel out, out across the lake <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> where, where I, I fell through two weeks before, you know? <laughs> Wow, 180 kilometers. So, how many townships are you are you trapping there? Four. Oh, okay. Four. But I, I I go back and forth and round right. and you know like I mean everything's big loops, but there's there's a lot of this depending on country. Like you you know not all all of your country is is productive. <laughs> you know you get the big uh, uh, black uh, uh, spruce muskegs. You know you'll have cats go through them in the wintertime nothing else pretty much uh, other than that uh so you 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 know you go and hit the, all these these different ridges and that and when the animals hit those those high ridges they travel on them even though a ridge might be you know within sight of another ridge they'll probably never get over to the other ridge this is all stuff i you know i learned because i'd never had a, a traveling before that had as much muskeg as this right and and so you know you you get up and you travel these ridges and you come back around on the next ridge and, and that kind of stuff there's there's a there's a lot of that so yeah i I have over 300 kilometers of, of trail, you know? Wow. And, yeah. Wow, there you go. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. So, I mean, that's how you end up with, I get 14,000 K on the one snowmobile and I think I got five or 6,000 K on the other. And yeah. Yeah. I was just, uh, I was just in a, in the trails meeting there that tech Cole puts on there for uh, the Cataman area. Every mm -hmm. summer. I see, did I see you got drawn for sheep there, Rich? No, not th not this year. No. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. I have been before, um, yes. <laughs> okay, and um, and yeah, they were talking about trails, and and the thing is on the on the north, um, well, actually, it's the yeah the northwest half of the line that basically follows the road up to Hinton. There, we've had uh, like it's all it's all either mining, why well, it was active mining or reclamation, and so we just don't have the means to be able to go through there with an ATV, but. Um, you know, I always keep poking away at those questions. Like if there's ever an opportunity that I can take and possibly somehow get back in there. I mean, wolves are it for me. Like it's, that is my yeah. number one. I love the wolves and there's just nothing like them, everything about it. And, and, uh, and that, that would just get me just a little bit closer 
to to the larger groups of wolves that that come in and out of that that part of the that whole coal stream down in through there and um but uh but uh, yeah that's uh um you know it's tough it's tough right they don't it's hard for them to take and give the land back and i don't know well, i'm kind of involved in that i'm i um i'm a director for uh uh wild sheep alberta and okay. there's I, a rep on there from there yeah one I, I sit on on aca for um, well my first my first meeting uh sandy is actually the the uh treasurer for aca but we'll, we'll be and that's one of the issues that you're talking about there is you know you can't just open up that area for one person to use a quad you open it for everybody and well that's know. the thing and that's what that's exactly what and and it was a noted point it was i absolutely understood it they said you know you got to remember jake that if we and and like because they they were they were um empathetic to me let's say you know they're like yeah man you know jeepers you know we know that that's you know you got a lot of land back there that that uh technically that's it's it's our rfma but they said the reality is if we find that spot where we can get you to take an unload and yeah here's a good way for you to take and get through and then be back in there and have a bait for wolves they said the reality is is now here's a set of tracks and there's a regular set of tracks the when they so that's your rfma there mm -hmm. and where, where what does it encompass you like are you are we talking like sphinx creek greg yeah exactly yeah, yeah. that's yours yeah okay yeah that's classified as a as a fluzo isn't it an fluz um forest well, land I, use something zone uh the to my understanding um what they have mined and what they've reclaimed yeah. the area behind there up against the the first peaks of the rockies is is open uh open for hunting open for trapping yes yeah most cases sure. most situations trappers have the right of access so that like I, that's one of the things that we do with wild sheep is that is pay trappers to uh uh to trap wolves okay sheep wolves and you know uh, wolves that would would be eating sheep and you know you you would qualify in there extremely well uh but Trappers are the only ones that can can you know like travel up in, into those areas into the mountains using a snowmobile and that kind of stuff or a quad. But the problem that you have there is that's they haven't turned that lease back yet, so it's it's actually the the uh, trespass that's that's the problem, right? As far as why you can't cross the those those uh, reclaimed mines. That's they, correct. Yeah, that's, they, that's so it's trespass. Correct. It's not it's not got anything to do with actually with the government. It's got to do with with the uh with trespass on on um, their lease correct yeah okay. yeah yeah it's uh you know and, and like i said i i understand it rich but you know that's the panel and um and uh and uh chris watson he was in on the, on the conversation and and he said that he was going to reach out to me and, and uh talk some more about it and it, but it's a good panel of people um to at least you know you got to let it be known you know, there's a trapper that's actually interested. And then, you know, I mean, talking to, to all these other trappers, Rich, if I digress a bit. Um, no, no, go ahead. Like, like oftentimes, like I go down Elk River Road uh, in the wintertime, especially when that road is decent in the wintertime. And what I did is I reached out to all of the uh, RFMA senior holders down that line. My curiosity was uh, at the possibility of trapping my way in to when I was getting to Cataman. 
okay um and uh and uh, and i probably talked to excuse me i probably got half of them on the phone and they were all good they were all good to talk to but um they were either you know they either had junior partners um but most of them they were pretty down just about the fact of all the the forestry that had gotten done um but uh, yeah that was basically my idea though like give me you know give me somebody that's got wolves you know i'm already coming down this road you know if i gotta you know if i gotta start at three in the morning get there while it's still dark and go in and and, and hit a good bait on on another rfma like i was all over that but um but yeah the, you know there's a lot of guys that are pretty down there just about the forestry and we've been uh, uh 1872 has been impacted very significantly because we have the we literally have the first peaks of the rockies on the west side of us right and and then uh uh off to the east it has been logged extensively prior to 2010 and then now what they've done is they've done a lot of logging to the north yeah. so the the martin especially the martin population you've almost kind of got a trapped population of genetics there so uh, you know, the old days of it being, it was kind of well known. It was, it was a really good producing Martin line, but you know, they don't, uh, I'm sure you know all about the Martin. They hate crossing open country. Oh, absolutely. Everything. You know, absolutely. So. Like, uh, there was a study done, you know, what? I, and the number of studies that are done on under, uh, have been done on any of our fur bearers is pathetic. Like that, that's one of the things like you, you realize why we have a, a, a fisher quota in Alberta. It's based on a, on a study out of Pennsylvania in 1969, you know, like, I mean, unbelievable, but one of the few Martin studies that I've ever been able to find, they talk about how once you got an opening, that got to be 30 meters, whether it was road or pipeline or whatever, that was as physical a boundary to a Martin as, as a wall. And it's true when you watch you you get to know your line and you spend your time on your line and that and you they just don't you don't see them crossing you just won't never see a martin cross a, a lake you'll see fish across it all the time but not not a martin you know and and same thing with the roads and the pipelines and all that kind of stuff it, it it's really it, it's astounding yeah but there I, I went down a rabbit hole about about studies <laughs> one thing like right now i know that we're we're trying to deal with how what we're going to do or how we're going to turn back that that uh, uh those leases right and what's going to be done with them okay and there's a big push by a um uh, a quad group you know like uh, atvers they want to put they want to have uh, a series of uh, courses through there and and trails and all and and i don't want that you know like and i mean, I mean i'm not saying that it, it might decision is what's important that's the everybody feels that way you know like i mean probably the biggest issue we got is that there are so many hunters that want it to be turned back for hunting and i'm not sure we can do that because as soon as we turn it back for one then it's turned back for everybody and you know if you have unlimited hunting there where you know the people can go there at any time of the year and you know what it's like it's it's like yeah. it would be like going to uh elk island park you know, it's, it's, it's a similar situation, right? Yeah. I don't know. That might be one of the problems that we've created there by, you know, having the, the, the mines and the reclamation is that it'll may never be for hunting again. I don't know, but um, yeah. 
you yeah. yeah that's weird that's weird there's got to be some way i mean it's well, all about I, the trespass is what your problem is yeah well and i you know i've had uh you know we've i've they've been nice enough you know the you know i've, I've done uh the, the the orientation for the mine multiple times just to go in there and sit in on meetings and they've been good you know and i've met uh you know, I've met people that have actually now since come and gone that don't work there no more. And well, now the mine is shut right down for the last couple of years. Um, and I've ran into people with varying opinions there on uh, on what they should do or what they could do or what they feel needs to get done. And um, and I think that, the, yeah, the you know, I mean, that whole habitat that has been kind of created there now, it has it, it presents quite a quandary on how do they go about, you know, you know, do we give some back? At what level can we give it back? Um, you know, I've even heard, you know, they're, you know, if they open it right up, I mean, they've moved so much. What do they do? They move like 98% of dirt just to get at 2% coal. So, you know, there's that end of it, you know, you know, do they have loose material? It's, could somebody get hurt? And would they say it's a, it's yeah, kind well, of a, so, some of that stuff is just made up BS just to keep, like, I mean, governments that and, too yeah the governments are great at talking you know and yeah. you said you've had great conversations and they, they they talk and they talk well that's all they'll do is talk 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 it was really funny uh i've been involved on different organizations and and ag pack and which is was a precursor or two before what's what's ag mag now or or was it ag mag then and it's ag pack now i forget anyway the stuff we were arguing about 14 years ago we're still arguing about today like if well, you want to keep talking, it's that that's all it's ever going to amount to is talk, you know. Like that's they, exactly they, right. Yeah, no, it is, and 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 the thing about it is, is, is government is immortal. The government is immortal. They they, they lose today, they'll they'll win a hundred years from now. It doesn't matter. You won't be around a hundred years from now. The government is immortal, and and they take the long game on everything. And I often think that that's why they do these things like these having these uh, user groups and all that because because they get this all talking together. And invariably, they, they they have so many people in the user group. You got everybody from the beef producers to the to, to leaseholders to to people who are who are growing uh, crops to the municipalities, the, the trappers, the hunters, the fishermen, the the, the uh, uh, trout unlimited. And invariably, then clicks form within the group, and one fights against this one, and this one fights. They don't they don't need to say anything. They got us fighting against one another. You know. Well, and then everything is in application process. Like it's in application process this year. It was last year. It was five years ago. And I, 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 I've gone to those meetings for many, many years now. And there's, there's a lot of it that is the same as it was in 2011, 2012. But oh, Dave Kay told me he stood up at a, uh, at uh, the Alberta Trappers Association uh, general meeting. And this would have been four or five years ago, maybe six years ago. He stood up and said, we're going to get rid of quota. Quota just doesn't make sense, you know, and, and he gave all the reasons. And, and he's right, because quota has never, ever been changed from the day they brought it in. And quota was supposed to be a, a, a control knob for fluctuating um, population numbers, right? So you'd have to adjust the knob every now and then. You know, sometimes we're taking too much quota. Sometimes we're not taking enough quota. You'd have to adjust it. It's never been adjusted. Never. All the time that we, the, the four animals that we got quota on has never been adjusted. So, and he, he stood up at, at the... Uh, at the uh, general meeting, uh, uh, annual general meeting of the ATA, and said we're going to get rid of quota. 
nothing has happened. You know? Well, and then the governments change every four years, Rich. So now you got all new heads that are sitting in there. So it's there's part of that yet too, right? So if if they make some headway, well, we've got a wonderful minister now, one who actually uh, Jason Nixon uh, is our minister for whatever they call it now. Fishing game is I call it fishing game. <laughs> it was AP or whatever. parks. Yeah, I yeah. don't know what it is. Yeah. Anyway, we have a wonderful minister. He actually wants to be there. And that to me that, that that's awesome. He's he's an outdoorsman and he and he takes his kids out and all that kind of stuff. That that's awesome. And I've spoke with him and 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 you know, there is frustration, you know, like I mean, because he says things don't move as fast as he wants to, but mostly because he's the, the figurehead and gets to do the talking and all that. But you know, the, the the people who shuffle the paper can can make things go as fast or as slow as they want to. And you know, the right. so you end up with those those people who uh have been there for, for forever the uh the bureaucrats you know that have been there for forever and they don't change every four years hey folks rich here with some exciting news from trappinginc.com we were listening when you said you wanted more clothing and we heard you loud and clear we've expanded our clothing line more colors men's ladies and children's sizes more variety living off grid gives more time for the creative juices to flow new humorous observations are added weekly as well as our classic trapping ink logo we have joined forces with T Public. You can find our T Public storefront from the store page on trappinginc.com. Just go to www.trappinginc.com forward slash shop and just scroll down to find the link for our Trapping Inc. storefront. Or you can go to tpublic.com and enter Trapping Inc. TV in the search bar at the top. Check it out. Big sales every month and you can save up to 35%. Don't miss out. Get your favorite gear today. And now let's get back to today's show. You know, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, they stay there. They keep working the background. <laughs> but what a cool thing, though. Now, oh, let's get back to trapping, though. What uh-huh. a cool thing because your wolves on your trap. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm, a, I'm all there. over. God, I'm a I, I'm a squirrel on on crack. You know, I'm, I'm everywhere. <laughs> but no, what a cool thing, though. Your wolves on that uh, on that reclamation. That'd be like dirt holing coyotes on the prairie, man. Because they are all over that. You know, they're yeah. not just strictly in trees or anything else, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, um, I'll, I'll tell you the first wolf that I, that I caught there, Rich, I had, a, I, had a, I had a bait, I had a roadkill deer hanging in a tree, and I had a trail camera right in front of it. And I leave my cameras out all year. So anything that comes, it's amazing how many ungulates love to come to oh, yep. bait areas. I don't know what it is. I mean, they smell it, they come, they check it out. But um, yeah, I had a camera there and a wolf came in and he was a wolf that in my estimation, he was at the end of his life cycle. He was still in good shape, but he had one eye was missing. His teeth were just completely ragged. And, um, but at any rate, the first picture I got of this wolf is he came in, he latched onto that deer and he had him on a dead pole. Like that's the photo, that's the first photo that I got of him. Oh, cool picture, man. Yeah, it was a bit blurry, but I kind of got it. He didn't like what was going on. He yeah. wanted to just grab and run, right? Yeah. But at any rate, he, 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 he couldn't get it off. I, I hung it up really good. And so he started feeding. And he stayed literally right underneath that, uh, that, uh, that deer. And he stayed there for, it, was, it wasn't 48 hours, but it was close. Now, the, the downside was that what I also had there is I had a, a, a pail and it had uh, a three-year-old uh, a, a bait in it, like a beaver. 
And what did he do is he managed to take and figure out how to get what he could out of it and he rolled in it. So he wasn't a very, you know, wasn't very appealing to the nose when I finally got him. But anybody that's gone after wolves, sooner or later, you'll catch one like that. Most of them and, smell uh, so awful to begin with. Like, I mean, oh my God. Sometimes when you, when you take and have them tanned, like you're, you're talking about that, they come back and it's like it's a different color of wolf. That's how dirty he was. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this wolf, he ended up, he, 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 he finally ended up kind of leaving his little spot. I got like 500 pictures of him. And he finally took and wandered around and, and, you know, he went just a short distance and followed a trail and I had him right away. And, um, and so I mounted him. And the really cool thing about this wolf was, you know, he gets white, same as we do. You know what I mean? I, I, from what the sense that I get is he was once a typical gray, okay. but he was near white. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, he's got a little bit of gray salt and pepper across his back, but other than that, he's, he's, he's an old white. dog. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been cool to age him. You know, I've got a you skull see, still. I, I I have never done anything with the skull. It's still in the freezer. So it's usually like that one little get. tooth in the back that they that they take an age from. But yeah. um, so he was he was starving to death, and he he didn't well, have enough teeth anymore. Well, no, I think he was. So I think he was like in in that time he was actually still healthy. But the sense that I got was that he was eking out a life on the perimeter, right? I mean, wolves kill wolves. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, if, if he runs into his brethren, like he's gone. Yep. But I think it's just because the the nature of the the congestion of ungulate populations, just right tight in that spot, you know that that valley system there where all the coal and the reclamation. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. the elk and the sheep and the and the oh, deer. The elk, the elk are just phenomenal there. Yeah. So he yeah. was he was managing to eco to living there, but uh, uh, I don't think I don't know what would have been left of him. You know. I see guys they catch wolves with mange. Like I, I don't think he was like a season away of running into something that was gonna finish him off. He was just he was old. Basically, he'd become like a coyote, and he had to he had to scavenge off whatever the uh, the pack left, and yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, it, but you know, just a total prize for me though. Like this is this total prize. Oh, absolutely. That that that's cool. I love the story too, and, yeah. and I I, I got to see the picture sometime. But I mean this is one of the things I was always talk about with, uh, with trappers and, and people ask about how can you trap? Well, there are four ways an animal can die. You know, he can, he can starve to death. He can die of disease. <laughs> he can get ate by something or he can die in my trap. He you take and, and Google it. die of exposure. You, you take and you take and Google, uh, how many animals ever die of old age? And the, the, the uh, studies that I've read said that the number isn't significant. <laughs> there's no uh, there's no old folks home. There's no retirement no, lodge no. for them they, to enter into. When you talk about exposure, exposure happens when they're in poor condition. You know, that, that that's they're, they're starving to death or the disease or whatever is run down. Exposure yeah. is just the final nail in the coffin. Yeah. But yeah. That, that's the four ways they can die. And none of them are pleasant. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I mean, I've caught a lot of animals. And, and when my time comes, you know, uh, you know, do I want to take six months to die from, from cancer, or whatever? Or do I want, you know, uh, two minutes in, in the conibear? Well, I'll take the conibear. Thanks. <laughs> it's amazing. Like I run into so many people that, uh, that either, you know, their uncle trapped or their grandfather trapped or their brother or something. And, and I find rich that, uh, um, 
you know, people that either know you or know of you, especially, but that would never, you know, think of, of hunting or trapping, let's say. Um, it's really pleasant that I find when they give themselves to having a conversation and they very quickly realize that the last person that, that wants, uh, like, let's say in this case, uh, a fur bearer species to not exist anymore. The last person is the trapper. Yeah. Once they kind of, once they, once they enter into that conversation and they realize, Oh, wait a minute, you know, something there's, there's some good when you have that kind of a steward of the land that's out there um, dealing with said uh, Martin Wolf uh, Fisher otter populations. You know, the thing that once you get people that you can talk to and if they will actually listen, if their ears are actually open as, as uh, my grandma used to say, are your ears open now? And, you know, she, she <laughs> paying attention if they want to actually listen. Um, Mother nature is cruel. You know, they populations build up until they starve to death or get disease and then they crash down to enough to, to, to start it all over again. All we're trying to do is kind of clip some of those tops off and take care of, you know, yeah. use what's going to be wasted otherwise. You know, <clears throat> people talk yeah. about uh, about uh, uh, what an area is like when it's not trapped, you know. And I had a prime example with this last trap line when I bought it. It hadn't been trapped for probably 10 12 years not well put it that way mm -hmm. and looking at the at the reports i think there was a bunch of falsified reports so it even longer it had been where you know the, the the old fella got sick and i think his son then just started falsifying the the fur reports or whatever but anyway the balance was so out of whack on that trap line there wasn't a cat that was that 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 wasn't under 24 25 pounds they were all every one of them mature um the fisher were all giant and 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 i i catch you know 18 and uh my uh quote of 18 fisher was nothing i'd have like seven martin in the time that i caught 18 fisher you know but the big predators were were what was doing well you know and i had hardly you know like with the lynx hardly a female they were all all big males so i mean what's happening is is of course the the, the big predators are, are are cleaning up on everything else they the, the trap line probably wasn't far away from a crash you know, those big predators were going to crash and, the, and then things would rebuild, right? You yeah. know, and, and for a single trapper to make a, a make a dent in it, I mean, it, it, you know, that's probably the best part about our, our system with our RFMAs is that, you know, I have four townships. Uh, how big is your area? Three and a half townships. Three and a half townships. Yeah. How, how big a dent do you think you take that you make in, in the animals there, you know? Well, you know, we, we, we can take and clean out all the wolves, but because the wolf population on the outside, yep. they just, they just all, they just all come flooding back in. So that's, that is kind of a story in and of itself. Uh, the Martin population as it is right now is, uh, you know, and, and at the same time, as I say that they're kind of trapped in there, um, you know, it's kind of a, you know, you keep going in every year and you just keeping your eye on, them, but yep. I have absolutely no interest in over trapping them. No. Um, and then, um, and then the links, um, the thing that I haven't done, we can take, I, th I think it's it's two per township. So it's seven links that we can take there. And I took four last year, but because I wasn't spending enough time there where I can at least ensure that I'll be able to retrieve that animal because everything eats the links. Um, I, uh, I shot 
three lynx and I caught one in a wolf snare. So like I'm almost kind of catching enough lynx um, that I'm happy with uh, outside of, of going after them. Now, if I, I would, I would take, and take my quota in lynx there as long as I would know that I'm not, you know, not going to be there for five or seven days at a time. The whole but. the whole problem with things like lynx quota is that lynx are very very uh, their population fluctuates with with the snowshoe yes. hair. Absolutely, yeah. it's two years behind it every time. Yeah. And when you take a look at the, the uh, you know we have lynx quota right across Alberta, and you take a look at the at the number of lynx that go to to market to the auction, um, we never ship ten percent of the available quota. We never ship ten percent, and so that, that goes to tell you what what a what quota means and. I, I have since, since uh, I got this new trap line and I mean, I, I was kind of started with this, this unsullied slate and everything. I have trapped everything to my fullest extent every year, every year. You know, I have 300 boxes out for, for Martin and, 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 uh, and Fisher. They're not all loaded every time I move them around that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, over a hundred and some uh, uh, pens for, for uh, snare pens for, for links, that kind of stuff. And I trap it hard every year, and my numbers are good every year. You know, oh, I mean, good it's for you. good for you. Do you not have a lot of activity like on, on the perimeter from the other RFMAs? Do you think, or how, what's going on around you? Do you think? Well, two of my neighbors, um, Peavine uh, settlement is, is one neighbor on to the south, and Gift Lake is another neighbor to the, to the east, and so there's not a lot of trapping goes on in, in the settlement. Oh, okay. You know, like they, they, those are, uh, are Métis reserves. And, and so not a lot of trapping goes on there. It just, I mean, the physical size of it, you know, four townships, I'm a perfect square. So it's really easy for, you know, to get around that, but, but I have one road alone. Uh, the, the one road alone, I have over 42 kilometers of a road on my, uh, on my, my trap line. You know, where, where it hits the trap line, comes in, goes around. Then there's all the side roads now because it's the Seal Lake oil field. You know, it's it's all... Um, oh, Seal Lake, that's right. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's all um, uh, oil sands, like deep deep oil sands. So they all, it's all, it's not SAGD. It's similar to SAGD, but they, they re-inject the, um, uh, what's it called? The clear volatile condensate, the condi. They re-inject the condi into, into the... Uh, the the structure down below and it thins the bitumen so that it can gravity feed down to the pickup lines and all that stuff right right, right. and uh but so i mean there's there, there's all kinds of of pipelines and and uh i bet you easily 10 percent of my my land is has been cleared easily 10 percent just for roads and, and leases and that kind of stuff right and and yet you know i mean the, those those animals do do well i mean as i have trapped you know harder and harder you know you, you can you can look at it and say well you know you're you're affecting your animals this way or that way but then uh, you start taking a look at at the variable of uh, of weather you know like that one study i found a, about martin or there's actually more studies about martin but one study said that martin do better in areas where there's nine inches or more snow a month to develop really? a, to yeah to develop a snowback because a martin can freeze to death right right because it doesn't carry a lot of fat okay very 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 little fat so it has to be able to get under into the subnivian climate underneath the snow and that's when your snow turns to those ice crystals that's that's from sublimation where the snow has actually gone from from being solid snow on the ground 
and it goes straight to vapor. It doesn't go through liquid. It goes from from solid to vapor. Goes up into the into the snow itself, and and of course, as the temperature changes, uh, then it goes right back. It, it sublimates the other way, so it goes from vapor to solid, and that's what makes ice crystals. Why your snow? You always talk about sugar snow and how hard it is to get around with your snowmobile on. That's that's how it works. But that's really important to things like like weasels and 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 Martin because they can live underneath the snow and they have to be able to get under there to 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 survive. But when you take a look at studies like they did in the Yukon, where there was no trapping or anything went around, they said that it takes uh, like 0.4 of a Martin per per uh, square kilometer in order to have a self sustaining uh, population. Okay. So at a minimum, when you take and do the math on, on, on my trap, and there's a minimum of 150 Martin of mine, you know, wow. and, you know, you take 35, 55 a, a, a winter. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, uh, not hurting them. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, that that's how you're, you're having far more than that, not make the winter, you know, on the average 60, 70% don't make the winter, their very first winter, uh, you know, and then you go up into, it gets as high as like 2.4 Martin per per uh, a square kilometer and and of course and then there's then there's you know I forget four or five I did the math once four or five hundred of them on there I don't think I have that many but at the minimum at the at the bottom edge you know there's 150 there and I'm catching you know anywhere from a a, a, a third down to a fifth of them in a winter it it's uh you know when you start looking at those numbers the fact that we have these areas that are allotted to a single person and it's not a free-for-all that's important and i think that allows us to control um you know what, what what happens out there you know if you one person i don't think one person could 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 damage that you know normal situation like mine's far more normal than yours where you have them just one small area you could you know because they're, they're basically trapped right you could do damage yeah yeah <clears throat> Yeah, they have kind of a unique situation there that they're that they're fighting. Yeah, exactly. And I find that, you know, when I, once I like leaving my cameras out, I would notice that, uh, uh, that Martin wouldn't even go to a wolf bait if it was too open. Yeah, like they wouldn't go like I would catch them on the perimeter if I hung a box anywhere near that area because they were in the area. They, they knew about it. But uh, and then nocturnal. Like the yeah. times that I would get a picture of a Martin at a bait where, where it was a congested enough, uh, uh, you know, treed area, the, uh, the Martin, uh, you know, it was almost like they would all of a sudden they would look and they would see that the sky was kind of turning bright and they're yeah. gone. Oh yeah. They're, 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 they are so such a cool animal, but you just, it, it's so unique. I mean, after spending a lot of time trapping them in that and traveling through the, the woods, now, there's just places that, you just know you're never going to catch a martin here you know yeah yeah and 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 that that was uh it was more the fisher than the martin that that brought to to my attention the uh, the importance of the of the ridges running through the muskegs and that the fisher travel them more than the martin do because it you know they're it's a uh, fisher more much more aggressive animal and they're more an, an animal of the edges right you know like like you catch them on the edge of a log over block that kind of stuff you won't ever catch a martin there or i i won't anyway not until until things are growing up pretty good uh but you know you it, it's so it's so funny when i work those muskegs you know you you'll put a box up on top of that ridge for for the uh for the fisher and that but then you got to get down into that the the muskeg to, to set a pen for the lynx the lynx very seldom goes over top the ridge you know what i mean yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i know and 
earlier when we were talking about uh you know talking to uh people that you know don't have much exposure to trapping yep. it's interesting like especially the 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 uh the beaver work that i do in the summertime you know when i take and i run into somebody and i'll tell them you know i'm i'm trapping the beaver that are coming to this culvert now i can see the dam is uh 150 feet away you know where the beaver are coming from it's just that you know the population is getting a little bit big they just want to get more uh area underwater it's just a natural thing that happens and i say uh you know those beaver that are over there that are going to stay over there they're fine but everything that's going to come over here i'm going to take and leave with them and yes i do have to take and go back to you know however many spots i take and go back there annually but uh you know when when you bring somebody into that conversation and you start talking about economics and you realize that uh you know uh, you know rich myself and joe down the road and mary that's got a place uh you know 15 miles down some rural road we all like it the way that we have it and we live where we live and when the beaver comes there and gets water pouring over the road and now uh you know said landowner has got no way to come back out um what happens is uh you know the beaver trapper's too late should have got there a little earlier and it's quite possible that the road's going to get washed out and the county's going to take and pick up the tab for all this yep and uh what that means is everybody that's paying their taxes should take and pay attention to that absolutely and i think and that <laughs> that generally gets most people uh ah, okay well hey you know something that does make some sense and then at the same time you know you know what's beyond that beaver dam rich like i'm preaching to the choir like like you get into these areas in in rural alberta where you've got trees and waterways like whatever the days were back in the day in in uh, you know these populated areas you know uh near uh, this the saskatchewan river all the stuff where they basically made the beaver extinct you know the beavers they came back from somewhere they came back from these hard to reach areas where trapping you know there wasn't so much trapping going on and now that they're here and they're back um you know when you spend a little time talking to you know people like ourselves and you realize that uh you know we're not doing away with the population of beavers that's not what's happening at all there's i, I don't think like we could i i mean no. it took it took a very determined uh when they did it the first time it, it was uh, a very determined uh, concentrated effort and it was over a lot of long time where there was absolutely no controls none whatsoever and i mean we have we have so many more controls i mean we, we even have seasons now they didn't used to you know they I mean it didn't it didn't matter when because i mean what originally brought brought every brought the europeans to canada for for beaver was for felting you know and of course the best felt comes from a winter beaver but you can still felt a summer one you know what i mean yeah and uh yeah. it's you know people people uh just don't understand i when i talk with my oil companies and and you know well we've got to get rid of these beaver and i said well we can get rid of these beaver but you're never going to get rid of every beaver you know i said it's a thing like, called two-year-old beaver <laughs> and it's it's like i said it's like do you really buy beer or you just rent it you know what i mean because yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing with beaver Habitat is never going to be empty for long. Never. That's right. Yeah. You, you know? When you remove beaver from a spot uh, and the work has already gotten done by the previous beavers, when a two-year-old run comes by there and, oh, you know what? There's a lodge that's decent. There's a dam that's holding back water. They're in like Flint. And, uh, but, uh, but yeah, like for me, um, for me, 
you know, the, the, the business of, of especially like when I run into, like when I'm out in, uh, in rural Alberta and I'm, I'm taking coyotes off the land, I'm taking beavers off the land, trapping has got a lot of pitfalls, Rich, but, you know, when you run into people that have an acute understanding of what it means for a trapper to come out there, be efficient and get a job done, it's uh, it goes a long way you know i mean because it can it can be tough you know if the i always look at trappers like you know we kind of stand alone we have our very own argument and there's very very little backing now, that's not a comfort level for a human being what's comfortable for a human being is to be a part of something bigger that everybody is a part of right that's where the comfort level is so when you're a trapper you're actually kind of in a niche where, you know, you got to get on Rich's podcast to take and find somebody that's uh, that's on the same level with you. <laughs> These people, they just don't exist everywhere. Nowadays, you know, with all the, um, you know, like your your group that you have there, it's been really cool to take part in it, Rich, and, and the Alberta Trappers Association. There's so many now. At least it allows us kind of an outlet as uh, the greater trapping community to take and share with like-minded individuals and and uh, not feel quite so isolated, if you will. I, I, I enjoy, I enjoy that. Well, I'll tell you one thing that as, uh, and I've come to doing the podcast, I've come to the realization that ADC trappers have a very unique place in the world. You have a captive audience. If anybody can make people understand why animals have to be controlled, that it is the ADC trapper. And here it is, you know, somebody's just had his apple tree chewed down or just had, you know, Fluffy got ate by a coyote. You know, they they want these animals gone, but, you know, maybe they've got some some modern day guilt about it or whatever, you know, anti, anti-trapper guilt. And when, they, you know, it gets explained to them that you're not killing the last one and, and that this is just control and, and that, you know, animals need to be controlled for disease and everything else, you know, ADC trappers have have the biggest advantage, uh, you know, right now because because these people people want to be told that they're doing the right thing, getting rid of get, getting rid of these animals, you know. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's a unique situation. Yeah, they, it it uh, it's it's interesting not to uh, you know it's it's interesting because because I run into people that uh, you know they'll they'll kind of sheepishly confess. You know, I don't have a gun, you know, I've never trapped, you know, I never do this sort of thing. And, uh, but, uh, when it, when it gets to the point where they start explaining to you that, uh, they would have never guessed that the beaver is, is capable of, you know, whatever it's presenting for them to them as an obstacle. Um, you know, they let themselves into, uh, the world of an ADC trapper, like right quick. Oh, I had the <laughs> perfect situation. We, I knew, I, I knew, I knew the lady just kind of from bumping into her at the at the local post office or whatever. But one day a coyote came and killed Fluffy the cat, and then ate it in her front yard. Okay, and right. she was just distraught, and she's telling me about this, and and like she went from being a trapper hater to to a trapper lover in in four seconds in front of my very eyes, and she wanted me over there to to use a nuke on that coyote she didn't care at that point right because fluffy got eight right there you know she 
digs in her purse and pull, pulls out the the collar that was unfluffy and it's chewed up and everything is <laughs> i'm feeling oh my god lady she's she's hurting so bad because i mean you know pets are, are part of family and everything right but it's like right i yeah. wish i could bottle you <laughs> yeah bottle you yeah. and sell you because well, I was rich. I was down at a pond, and uh, so I've got the I've got the farmer over here. Uh, the beavers are causing him flooding. So I'm I'm over at the pond, and there's an acreage owner literally right up the bank on the other side of the pond, and uh, and I'm down there. I'm I'm head down, butt up. I'm I've got my hands in the water there, and uh, the lady from across the way there. All of a sudden, I hear somebody's somebody's talking, like somebody's trying to get my attention. So I look up. And here's a lady, she's, she's getting my attention and, uh, and uh, she starts talking about, I, I said, yeah, I'm so-and-so, I'm the trapper. Turns out my wife actually knows this lady. I mean, it's a small enough community here where I live. And she's like, oh, I know your wife, this and that. And she goes, uh, she's like, oh, I like the beaver, you know, oh, they're, you know, they're, they're there, you know, they're splashing around in the water and this and that. I said, ah, yeah, I know. I said, but, uh, you know, Joe down the road here, you know, it's causing him a bunch of grief. So I gotta, I gotta get rid of some beaver. Then at the same time, she goes, Hey, listen, can you, uh, I've got Fox. I've got a real problem with Fox. Like we, can you come and get rid of our Fox? Like that's a, so it was, uh, she's got a little dog and then the, the Fox has a litter and, uh, they raided the neighbor's chicken coop, killed all their chickens, but it's, uh, you know, interesting to take and run into a person that, uh, yeah, on one hand, yep, likes the beaver. On the other hand, wants all the foxes gone. But that's kind of the, you know, that's the that's the the balance of uh, humans living with wild animals. I mean, we're, you know, here in Wetaskiwin, I mean, it is so, you know, almost everything is rural. Yet at the same time, we've got huge congestions of, uh, you know, lakefront properties. Yeah um so i'll tell you man we kind of hit the gamut here of of all the different examples of of uh, the different types of animals that people are actually coming into contact with um but uh it is always interesting when you have people that love all the animals but all of a sudden we really need this one gone <laughs> well that's part of what we do is outdoor communicators too though you know with uh, with youtube and tv shows and all that kind of stuff is is we try and show our life i mean there there are we are catering to the uh the adrenaline junkies, the people that want to do what we do, want to want to live our, our life or walk in our boots or whatever. But we also uh, we're trying to show that, you know, we're 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 kind of, uh, you know, we're normal. We're not we're not psychopaths. Right. And I often yeah. think you know, I often say because more than 80 percent of our of our fan base doesn't trap you know, like for, for the show Trapping Inc. TV. And I say that, you know, I mean, we're, we're, it's probably our, our, our secret weapon that we're just normal everyday people, you know? Yeah. We have a full set of teeth and, and we wear shoes and, and, and that kind of stuff. And, and we're just normal normal people. And people look at it and say, well, you know, well, look at Sandy. I mean, she's a banker. Like, I mean, she traps. And, you know, those kind of, you, you like to have those kind of, uh, uh, you know, that re those reasons to come up in their heads to, be, to give them pause, to give them think. But, when you have a uh, Facebook page and uh, a YouTube site, uh, Solo Trapper? Correct. Yeah. 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 I took and I, uh, yeah, and I, I came up with that name there when I was spending a bunch of time trapping by myself. And uh, yeah, I was kind of pleased to find out that uh, I took it as a business name. Um, my Facebook profile, I, Instagram was taken 
So I had to go I solo trapper. I figured I wasn't going to let Apple run the I out of everybody, take it away <laughs> from everybody. So I got I solo trapper, Rich. But, uh, but yeah, I... Um... Hey folks, Rich from Trapping Inc. TV here. And it's no secret that I'm a big fan of coffee. Our friends at Old Smokes smoke roast their coffee beans over wood fires. You have no idea how good coffee can taste until it's smoked coffee. Did you know that studies have shown that just the smell of fresh coffee can boost brain activity? Yeah, it's that good. Sandy and I have teamed up with Old Smokes Coffee to make our own Trapping Ink coffee blend. Let me introduce you to Wolverine, an ultra dark roast coffee bean smoked over Maplewood fires. This is the pure, uncut trapper's fuel that keeps us laughing and trapping all day long. If you'd like to try our special blend, you can find it at www.trappinginc.com forward slash shop. If dark roast isn't your thing, Old Smokes has five different coffee roasts from light to extra dark, each roasted over a different wood for a unique flavor. Right now, you can order from their online store and use our promo code RICH, that's R-I-C-H, and get 10% off your entire order. Just go to www.oldsmokescoffee.com. That's O-L-E smokescoffee.com and use the promo code rich that is promo code rich for 10 percent off your entire order and now let's get back to today's show my my i really i've really actually enjoyed uh i've really enjoyed the the youtube experience i um uh i, I think i've got like 5600 or 5700 uh subscribers and um just to be able to you know not just be able to show that I'm, I'm not just about taking, we're not just about taking, but to be able to take and give back. And, you know, when I get uh, youngsters and, uh, you know, first time trappers or, you know, people that have been out of it for 20 years, when they give me positive comments about, you know, a, a certain skinning tutorial or, or stuff like that, like I don't hold nothing back. Like I'll give you everything from the field and I'll within good taste and I'll give you everything from the skinning shed. So, um, you know, if you want the cheats, you, know, you can go ahead and check me out because I'll give you everything. <laughs> and, and, and I always say it like if, if I could, if I could have got it, like when I was a kid, Rich, oh. like with, with what I did with Beaver and Coyote and the amount of time and the struggling and it was years, you know, if I would have had somebody there to really kind of give me the nuts and bolts of it, like right out of the gate. And it's a lot tougher when you're, you're, you're pulling and you're scraping when you're 12 or 13 years old, as opposed to, you know, being an adult, of course, there's that element of it too. But, uh, but yeah, it's been a, I've, I've really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed the, you know, uh, the whole social media aspect of it. Now, uh, I just got a notice uh, just the other day here that um, I don't know how many of my videos on YouTube there, they can't be monetized anymore because of the, you know, skinning and whatnot like stuff like that but i've i've actually you know i don't think that i'm ever gonna take and pay any bills with uh <laughs> well, with I'll the tell amount of that i'm getting but i've, 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 I've thought I've, of just taking the monetization right off of it but well I don't, know. don't do that because you know what they still they, they still run ads in it even though you can't monetize it they're still wow. gonna run ads in it and they take the money from it but they're punishing you you know they this is I never you're, thought you're of that well don't no, listen i've now you got me outraged. <laughs> I just finished writing a two-part article about this, what, what, what's happened to me and, and where I went and why, why I came up with, with trappinginc.locals.com. And, and, and this is the reason. 
they will they will say that what you're doing is so heinous. In in my case, um, they've never had a problem with the tra- with the skinning and that where they've had a problem with was with my grandchildren. Okay, they're saying what I was doing was so heinous it was on the same level as being a pedophile or something that they they could not monetize any any uh, YouTube I had that had my grandchildren in it, and and yet they can they still run ads in my video but they punish me by not taking any money but they take money from it how you know i don't care what religion you are but i'm christian and that ain't christian (laughs) that ain't (laughs) christian you know what i'm saying that's not in the description there for sure no it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't uh to me that, that that that's it's criminal is what it is but take and go after them and talk about education talk about being educational talk about about the the history and 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 what you're passing on i've won some of those battles with with skinning and that kind of stuff that way Uh, Um, there you go good point and when when it's dark enough in the summer uh when i'm dark enough in the summer if i have to i'm gonna i'm gonna talk about being an aboriginal or something (laughs) I'm, I'm not but if it wins a battle with youtube why not right yeah yeah there you go <laughs> I'll, I'll have one of one of my many 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 friends say uh that, that i'm a cousin or something <laughs> yeah but yeah. but why let them get away with it they're making money off of it yeah and you're you're getting a a millionth of a penny off of the money they're making yeah it's disheartening that end of it is is disheartening i mean this and it, it it's almost goes back to the whole business we were talking about. Uh, I think it was before the podcast fired up there. We were talking about the uh, the Edmonton Football Club here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but there's so much. There's so many uh, corporations now. They, they, they will refuse to take and go away from whatever it is that is going to take and maximize their advertising their, their advertising dollars. If, if, if it's, if there's, if they go this way and it'll be, you know, two, 3% less than if they go this way, they'll follow that two, 3%, you know, and it's, it is, it is terrible and they're, they're guilty of it. And it, and it angers me to no end because like none of those people were their climate were their clients. Anyway, they were not their customers, you know, like you, in my, my, my sponsors for my trapping show and, and that, none of these people that, are, that, that complain about trapping they all live in their mother's basement in the, in the uk like i mean they're they're not they don't own argos or or you know or, or drink uh old smokes coffee or anything like that they're not they're not customers anyway but yeah. yet they will they will respond to it like it's something they have to you know they that that they have to be careful of right yeah. you know i had a, i had the, the the really good group of haters that i got was when i did a speed skinning video and I always laugh at myself when I do a speed skinning video because uh, um, what are the, the fellows there from uh, from BC, Garrett and Justin there, skinning coyotes in under two minutes or whatever. They well, they're just, they're from Northern Alberta. Yeah. <laughs> Northern Alberta. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> you know, so anyway, I did the speed skinning video and I, I managed to get one in and around three minutes or whatever. So anyway, I, I plugged this video and uh, I don't know what happened, Rich, but this thing went viral in, in an Asian country, Indonesia. I ha- I've never really gone in and actually looked at the metrics because you can see all that. Yeah. But, uh, but the hate that I got was in a language that I couldn't understand. So it actually kind of just rolled right off my back. It didn't even really bother me too much. But <laughs> just, just learn how to, how to block and ban and delete. That's, it's, yeah, it's exactly. that simple. Because yeah. we got uh, 
that two-part article I was talking about, um, we got a run taken at us by a very large Facebook group and like 1.4 million users. And, you know, they, same thing. And they, they had our copied, they copied off of our Facebook page, put it on their Facebook page. And they were, you know, coercing their, all these 1.4 million uh, yeah. members to, to attack us, you know, to go after us. And I ended up maybe blocking and banning, uh, it would have been less than three dozen, I guess. And I never, ever responded to any of them. I joined their Facebook page and I go there and, and they'd be there whining about, they just blocked and banned me. They won't, they didn't say nothing. And I thought that's hilarious because they weren't getting the attention they wanted. It was so simple. And I would, I would love to be able to bottle that and take it to, 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 you know, anytime you're looking for a non-endemic sponsor, that's the thing that they're worried about is that somebody might, you know, have a fit about, about trapping. Well, it's, it, it's not what you think it is. For one thing, I guarantee it's not what you think it is. And for another thing, these people are, are, aren't worth listening to anyway. You know, this had a, has a 1.4 million members wow. and it went on for <coughs> seven days, six days, and, you know, not even three dozen people that I had to block and ban and delete. Yeah. I, I taken my, my, my reset, my, uh, my baseline is always just, uh, you know, always just take and remind myself what, what it is that I'm doing, why I'm doing it. And, uh, you know, I've been out there working for the man and, uh, you know, I spent a lot of years. Um, and uh, now that I'm doing what I'm doing, like I just, I refuse to take and allow uh, that noise to take and get to me. And, um, and uh, yeah, I just like, like some of the experiences that I've, that I've had, you know, be, you know, having my family involved, Rich, it's, uh, you know, like I have like my, our 13 year old boy from, from when he was like, I, I took him, we were beaver trapping me and him. And I call him my godfather, um, old Garrett. And he's in some of my videos. We went, we were trapping beaver under the ice and we just got to, uh, we unloaded the machine and we got out to the beaver lodge and, uh, we're standing there. We're kind of unloading and, and Garrett looks around. And he just blurts out, he's like, oh, look at over there. There's a muskrat running across the ice. And as we're looking in that direction, my son Barrett, he comes into view in the direction we're looking and he's on a full run. You know, he's <laughs> like, he's like, I don't know how old he was, like seven years old. So uh, I was like, oh, wow, this is cool. This is awesome. Barrett's going to go and tackle a muskrat. And he literally, once he caught up, but he was seven and there was snow. So it took him a little, oh, the muskrat couldn't run very far either, very fast. But when Barrett left his feet, he, he literally, he'd come off of his toes like a guy diving for a baseball catch. That's how he went and, and flew at this muskrat. And when he went to tackle, he kind of half missed, but the, the muskrat just popped up underneath him. And... Uh, <laughs> And, uh, you know, stories like that, uh, you know, Barrett, he, he, he's the, he's the kid that we eat everything. I mean, he literally, he'll go catch grasshoppers and he's got my wife, uh, frying grasshoppers in butter and salt and pepper, uh, lynx, beaver, muskrat, squirrel, like the gross. So this kid, uh, you know, kind of help just take an add to, to my whole experience there. And, and yeah, like when we talk about that kind of garbage, Rich, I, for me, it's always easy. I, I always just take a reset back to my, yep. to my baseline yep. of trapping and, and uh, um, because you can't, but it, it does, it, it, it affects a lot of people. It hurts a lot of people. And yeah. I think it, you know, some of the stuff that I see on the pages um, 
I think sometimes people would be better off just, just not even comment that, you know, like some of the garbage that comes at you, you know, if you, if you just take and leave it alone, it'll be gone in a day or two type of thing. But some of it can't be left alone. I, I never respond. I take and ban and block them and then I delete it. I mean, it's, this is my pulpit. When you come to my Facebook or my YouTube or whatever, this is my pulpit. I built it. Yeah. You ain't get, you don't get to preach from it. Yeah. That's that, that, that's my, I'm, I'm very territorial that way. And I have to be proactive that way because I mean, I'm in a little different situation, you know, with, with sponsors to protect, but you, as you know, you're, you have your stuff monetized and all that you shouldn't allow their, their basically it's censorship. It's a soft censorship, but what it is is that they're not allowing you to monetize certain videos. So then you quit producing those videos is what it amounts to. Cause people have come to me and said, well, how come, you know, season six isn't up on YouTube and season seven isn't up on YouTube. And I, I say it's just because of this. That's why I made trappingink.locals.com was they, they don't censor it. I, everything else, everything can go up there the way it is. And they said, well, just don't make videos like that. Why? Like I'm doing something wrong, taking my grandkids. You know, I don't have kids no more. I mean, that they're, heck, my oldest is just about 40. And, you know, I, so I have grandkids and I got seven grandkids and, and I, trap with every one of them you know i mean it, yeah. it, it, i can't allow that that kind of no. censorship to take place no. because you know what those kids your son my grandkids those kids are, are all the future if this is ever going to, to to stay on you know if it's going to continue on we have to they have to get that education you know everybody talks about and this is a really delicate subject but everybody talks about the residential schools and what it did to the culture the to the uh, aboriginal culture and I've been in the north and, the, and uh, you know, up in the, uh, in the Arctic. And I've, you know, they, they say, well, we really want you to come up here and to travel from community to community to, and teach trapping. And I said, what, an old white guy? And they say, well, <laughs> but we lost all of this information, all this knowledge to the residential schools. Well, how this fits together with what I'm saying is that if we sanitize all of the trapping and hunting and stuff and that and our kids today the kids growing up don't see it they don't know where the food comes from or anything it's the same thing as what residential schools have done you know we're we're removing that information that that part of life and how life functions and and, and operates out of their knowledge yeah, that's you right. know and it's that's that's really important that is well, really I, important i did uh i did uh i was contacted by uh the montana and the uh, Samson reserves uh, from Musquatchies and did uh, did some trapping for both of them. And I'll tell you, Rich, there's just the sense the sense of satisfaction that I get when uh, um, I, I'm coming off the out of the ditch uh, out of the pond there with a beaver coming to the truck, and I'm laying a beaver on the end gate of my truck, and an elder comes to a stop and uh and starts to engage in conversation you know and and tell stories about the old days and, yeah yeah uh, this one guy about how you know muskrat was uh was the best meat that he'd ever eaten you know the way his grandpa used to prepare it and you had to take the little fat pockets off like i mean it it really you know it, it's kind of like when i'd like I, I was lucky enough i went on a few uh trips uh, hunting, hunting caribou and muskox and stuff. And when the guide's up there, you put an animal, you get an animal on the ground, 
and they start start taking that animal apart, start harvesting it. And you watch what these people are doing. You, you, you're, you're catapulting yourself so far back in time. Oh, like it might as well be at, at the beginning of, of man. And, uh, and, uh, and, and, and that's kind of, that's kind of the experience. Like when I'm, when I'm trapping beaver, lucky enough to take and meet these people. And this one particular fellow there at, in, um, on the Samson reserve there, he was in his seventies, if not in his eighties. And when you, you could just feel that he wanted to have this conversation. And when he was looking into the eyes of an actual modern day trapper, like uh, he was just in his glory. He just, he wanted to talk and he was sharing information and sharing stories. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a satisfaction that, you know, maybe if you, if you never trap and if you, if you never have a hand in it, you could maybe never understand it, but it's, uh, but it's, you're, it's, you're it's carrying, awesome. You're carrying forward a tradition that is lost, you know, like, I mean, he had nobody else to talk to about that. And then, you know, some old white guys there catching, catching beaver and he gets to have that conversation, you know, like, I mean, um, the, the, <clears throat> we have a lot of advantages in the modern world today, but I, I think that how we're, we're destroying things like, uh, you know, where we're sanitizing stuff and, and, and we're destroying the, uh, the historic way of, of teaching and passing on stuff, you know, like people, people are so busy that they're either not, not. Uh, trapping and hunting or they're not taking their kids it becomes something that the guys do or or, or the gals or whatever uh, we're missing out our kids today are suffering for it you know i mean i watch <laughs> you know everybody has tales about uh what the what little johnny said at school to the teacher and all that well i get the most <laughs> wonderful stories from my what my seven grandchildren say at school and that <laughs> and they stand out because it's so different from the rest of the of the children they're like oh yeah is that is that real you know is is is, is what uh, uh sam or or nate or, or what are, are saying is that true and yeah yeah it is you know <laughs> and that's sad because you know in my lifetime i watched this happen you know i mean I, when when uh, when I was that that age, when you know, going to school and all that, everybody did that. And today, nobody. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It has yeah, changed in, in our lifetimes. Yeah, it's uh, you know, and I've I've thought of it. My I've, my wife and I, we have four kids. They range from nineteen years of age to ten, I want to say. And um, you know, we we try to have them involved uh, all the time. And I'll tell you at any given time especially if it involves overnight stays it's uh they'll talk about that as much as any other experiences that they've had in their life that that have been enjoyable um and it's like some of the stuff you just can't duplicate it we i, I got up one morning <coughs> excuse me we were at Cadam in there and i uh said to my to it was barrett again at the time we got up and we were going to take an we were going to idle down. We're only a few kilometers from, from the town. I said, we'll go, we'll go buy some candy. So we go, uh, we just drive past the cabin and, uh, there's a wolf and there's a wolf and he walks up and he crosses the tracks and he stands there and looks at us and it had been raining all night. And so, uh, we doubled back there and I didn't have a rifle with me, but I was like, wow, I'm going to, I got to try to make a play on this wolf here. But I mean, all I had was my goose gun. 
uh, for uh, uh, animal damage control. I mean, for squirrels and such. And, but I had some, uh, I had buckshot there for bear protection, right? So because it had rained, I walked up, walked into the trees and I did about a, probably a 300 meter, 400 meter loop in the trees. And when I came all the way back from where he, he got, where he, where the wolf had gone up the hill and in the trees, I saw him, I took a shot at him. I immediately took a shot and then I just started running forward. And uh, when I got to the ridge, I, uh, for whatever reason, like one of these pellets caught him, but he wasn't even limping. So I don't know where I caught him, but I took and I shot him broadside and we ended up taking pictures and, uh, and it was a nice wolf. And, and uh, you know, when Apos finds out that you're, you're harvesting wolves like that, I mean, you know, they're your best friend, right? I mean, you can't hardly get go after the cougar. You can't go after the grizzly. Yeah. Um, you know, anybody that's hunting in that area ever, when they find out that there's somebody, you know, being that active. But anyway, the way that my story went there is like, I was standing here and I was standing there with my shotgun in my hand. And I'm like, wow, I don't know how many lifetimes I got to live <laughs> where I walk into the trees and take and go and hunt and kill a wolf. But uh, yeah, they had taken down an elk, you know, right behind the cabin overnight. Yep. And the, it was uh, uh, right at the beginning of a uh, big game season, right at the end of August. And, um, you know, these kind of experiences, you know, my kid will talk about it forever. Oh. And, and, you know, you drag them around like that, Rich. I mean, there's just nothing like it. They, and, and it's like, it's almost like propaganda. You, got, you, you expose them and, and when they have an understanding of what it all means and that it's okay, as opposed to when people get taught it like yeah. on the other side. Yep. Um, you know, I find that that balance of, uh, like you said, you know, exposing your kids to that kind of a lifestyle, it's important. I can tell you from experience, he will come back and he will, he will be 40 years old and he will tell you about it again. You guys will talk about it again and again and again. I know it. Yeah. I know it for a fact because I mean, it happens in my, in my life all the time. We get around sitting around a fire and the stories come up about, well, remember the time, dad, remember the time, remember we did this. You can, there is nothing you can do in your life that is so important as taking your kids with you. And it don't matter what you're doing. You're going to go to the store to buy some candy. And now look at the story he ended up with, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can't plan important stuff. You can't plan it, but life happens all the time and you just have to have them along. I mean, that's, yeah. that, that, that's what's important is be involved. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Well, sir, I have talked your ear off now for two hours. <laughs> Is that what we just ran two hours? Two hours now. We, oh. we might we might be ten minutes under because I forget how when we started. But oh. yeah, we're we're coming up on. <laughs> so you were talking about uh, all the all the memory that you're using up there for uh, for yeah. all your video and stuff. So here you go. Well, now now this is the thing. Like for me, when I take and I take I'll get all that footage, Rich. For me, when I come back, it's it's going through it. That's yeah. the thing that kind of gets me. Like I. I try to take and run pretty uncut stuff, but you have to, you got to take all that stuff and spend all that time with it and go and edit it and everything else. But uh, hopefully we didn't have uh, stuff that was too uh, not listenable and you can take and just cut it and run it. No, no, this, this will be pretty, this will be straightforward. I'd, we haven't had a glitch or anything else. I had your, your voice got a little bit broke up once that's it. So, I mean, it's going to be clean. It'll be the way it is. Awesome. Uh, it, it's awesome. I want to thank you for taking the time, man. And we yeah, got to do betcha. this again. Okay. Maybe, maybe next time we'll talk more about trapping and not about. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, we kind of we kind of veered off a little bit there a few times, but I do every time. And that, that we we started out talking about Joe Rogan, and that's what I like about him is is they wander around everywhere, and 
it was one of the things that I was always really, really polite and boring because <laughs> I, if somebody would, would say something and, and uh, I would try to remember uh, to ask them about what I wanted, I wanted to ask them what, what they were talking about. And Joe just interrupts everybody. And that's what I started doing is that I get to interrupt and, 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 you know, ask you to explain, uh, uh, you know, what you're talking about or, or what that detail meant and that kind of stuff. And that's that, that, that's what keeps the flow going. And I, I really enjoy it, but I have enjoyed this today immensely. Awesome. Me too, Rich. Yeah. yeah. As soon as when you sent me the, the, uh, the transmission there yesterday, I was, uh, I was very interested right away. And uh, yeah, I'm trying to, you know, like I said, when I, when I started ADC, the ADC trapping job, like I, I knew I was going to take it and uh, I'm trying real hard to, to stay out of the poor house, but I've, I've managed to keep my, my head above water, managed to get, um, you know, I'm running into some people not to keep go on and on here, Rich, but I'm running into some folks that want to do uh, some trap line tours. And uh, so far it's been really good. Like I'm good. The, the people that I'm running into, Rich, they don't want me to do anything different. They want to see me like trapping, trapping, you know, whether I'm skinning or trapping or driving or baiting or whatever. And I'm like, well, there you go, because that's pretty much all I offer. Yeah. Like I would obviously take and run my schedule shorter or longer, you know, depending on weather or whatnot. But, uh, you know, I don't catch the most fur. I don't catch the least fur, but I do like it when I'm in the middle of trapping season that I uh, like, I want to keep trapping. Well, that's, and that, that's the whole thing. Like, I mean, for us and our TV shows, it's just our life, you know? So it's, it's kind of an easy gig that way, other than, you know, you, you have hundreds and hundreds, thousands of hours of, uh, of uh, video, you're constantly running that camera, but yeah. it, it's just your life. So it, it, it's pretty good. I'm going to thank you. And uh, we will do this again real soon. Talk to you folks out there and thank you for, uh, I hope this wasn't too long. Uh, all those guys may, tell me about that you uh listen to these when you're making your run uh, in minneapolis and and all those places in the morning going to work well this might get you through two mornings <laughs> thanks for joining us and maybe we'll see you down the line thanks rich